Good morning. I'd like to, we would like to welcome you to Sunday service on this warm, hot uh, morning in uh, Northern California. We're inside today because of the heat. Uh, my name is Nayaswami Bharat, and this is Nayaswami Anandi. And we'd especially uh, like to invite our visitors and guests, people, uh, our meditation teacher training students, and our how to meditate uh, retreat students, and also everyone on the internet. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda. And our reading this week is Self-Reliance versus Self-Reliance. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Last week we considered the need for attunement with God, with the Guru, with the wisdom of others, until we make that wisdom our own. There is a strong and in fact valid belief nowadays in the need for standing on one's own feet rather than depending weakly on others to carry us by their strength. Swami Kriyananda was once asked, what is the best yoga posture? That one, he replied, which sets you squarely on your own two feet. Our inner strength must come from within. If that strength comes from the ego, however, instead of from soul consciousness, it is like a guitar string uh, without, without its sounding board. The notes it emits will be thin and feeble. Our strength must come from within, but must be coupled with the recognition of our inner link with broader and higher realities. The Bhagavad Gita says in the 10th chapter, Everyone in this world whose life is glorious or prosperous or powerful know that his achievement is but a little spark from the great son of my effulgence. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, emphasized also the power of attunement with his own consciousness as a ray of the divine. For this ray had descended already through him in response to their devotion it was a sign that God was already listening to them with receptive attention and did not require to be wooed in that way any longer. In the passage preceding the one that we read last week, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the husband. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. This was the meaning of Paramahansa Yogananda's counsel also, when speaking more intimately to the disciples of the need for attunement with him. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Well, I'd like to welcome you also. And we'll begin uh, this morning with a reading from Whispers from Eternity a book of prayers and poems by Paramahansa Yogananda. O 
Father, behold me through the pores of the sky. Smile at me through the twinkling stars. Strengthen me through the sun. Calm my feelings through the moon. Caress me through the breeze. Love me through my love. Throb in me through my heart. Breathe thine immortality through this mortal frame of mine. Speak through my voice. Help others through my hands. Use my mind to inspire them. Breathe through my breath. For within this fragile viol, thou alone canst sing thy complete eternal song. Well, this has been, um, I think, an inspiring couple of weeks here at Ananda Village. Last uh, July 4th, we celebrated our 48th anniversary. And 48 years is a substantial length of time in a human life. You're able to accomplish quite a lot and be at your strength and be able to go forward uh, in that. But in terms of an organization, if you look at, for example, the United States or England, just to pick two, uh, England, after 48 years, was the early 1100s. Um, uh, the United States was 1824. Just hardly anything had happened by that time. And so, not to exalt Ananda too much, but um, Yogananda said that the model of World Brotherhood colonies would spread through the world like wildfire. And I feel that this model that has been established here is just in its infancy. We just have the basics laid down, a few houses, some roads, just beginning what is needed for spreading this model like through the world like wildfire. But one of the most important things that has been established here, houses, roads, all that is very, very important, of course, but I think one of the greatest things Swami Kriyananda, our founder, did was model for us how to live as people in community, cooperatively and positively and in a growthful way, and also how to live as a disciple in an, in an effective way for finding God. And one of the most central things that he demonstrated was what Bharat just read, Self-reliance versus reliance on the higher self. Putting out your own will, standing on your own feet, generating your own energy, and yet at the same time allowing God to work through you. And this concept, when you read about it here, he expresses it so simply, and he lived it so effortlessly. But when you look around the world that we live in, it's really not understood at all. Um, Brad and I love a little joke about a beaver and a rabbit. And they were standing together looking up at the giant Hoover Dam. And the rabbit turned to the beaver. He said, is that your work? <laughs> and the beaver said, no, 
but it was based on an idea of mine. (laughs) In America, we're really, really good at standing on our own two feet. I can do anything. Master loved that quality in the United States. We can make anything happen. We aren't stopped. We can become president of the United States, no matter what our birth is. We can, we can, I didn't, I didn't mean that to be funny. We can achieve what we want to. And it's a great quality that Americans have. Now it's kind of morphing into also we can manifest, you know, I can use my spiritual power and I can manifest things. So it's going in many different directions of what the things I can do are. And it's, it's great on its own level. In the beginning of our lives, in the beginning of our lifetimes as well, but certainly coming childhood, we don't, the young baby doesn't have an awareness of its will. Its will is the same as the mother's will. But as it grows up, it, one of the key things that the child has to learn is, how do I make things happen? How can I express my own will? Without that, we can't move forward in life. We have to know how to, to express our will. But from that place of my will, how do we turn it into thy will? What is the pivotal point? And here, in, in much of sort of religious understanding, philosophical understanding, it's very, very confused. It's either I do it myself, or I pray to God, please God, do it for me. And, and it seems to be irreconcilable. And yet Yogananda and Swami Kriyananda, through his modeling, just put it together. Yes, you have a will. Use your will. You have to use your will. But know that it's your God-given will. And, and use that quality of um, letting, God, letting God flow through you. There's a story that Yogananda used to tell that's quite beautiful, actually. Um, God asked his uh, archangel Narada, he said, Narada, I want you to go to earth and I want you to find my true devotees on earth. And so Narada came down dressed as a human saint and he, the first person he met was an old hermit under a tamarind tree and this hermit was doing yoga postures and austerities and was very, very dedicated to his practice and Narada came up and introduced himself and he said, you know, who he was, Narada, he said, I'm on an errand from God, I'm looking for his true uh, devotees in this world and the man said, well, look no farther my, <laughs> my name is Badraka I have been for the last 80 years doing every mental and physical self-torturing technique (laughs) for discovering wisdom. uh, Rain or shine, I am here in my dedication to truth. I'm the disciple you're looking, I'm the devotee you're looking for. And Narada was quite impressed with his unstoppable dedication. And he he said, it's wonderful to meet you. And Vodrick has said as he was leaving, listen, when you see God, please ask him why he hasn't come to me yet. Narada said, surely I will, sir. Honor to meet you. And then he continued on his way, and he came upon this wild scene, actually. There was this young man 
He was thoroughly drunk, and he, he was trying to build a bamboo fence, and he had this bamboo pole, and he was sort of swinging it wildly. There was a little hole in the ground. He, he couldn't quite get it in the ground because of his intoxication, and he was yelling at God, and he said, you naughty God, you come help me with this thing. I need you to help me. If you don't come help me, I'm going to poke you with this bamboo pole right through your heart. And Narada was a little alarmed by this, and he came up to him, and he said, uh, can I help you get that pole in the ground? He said, no, I won't accept help from anyone but God himself. And he's hiding. He's playing hide and seek with me. He's being very, very naughty. And Narada said, aren't you afraid to blaspheme God like that? He said, of course not. God understands me better than you do. (laughs) Well, Narada found this whole thing. Narada told him that he had come looking for devotees of God. And this young man said, Well, he said, I've done some bad things, but please tell God I love him. And so Narada, and he said, oh, he said, please tell God to come to me. And Narada was walking away. He he agreed reluctantly, but he was walking away thinking, fat chance. It's not (laughs) going to happen. But he was kind of upset by that encounter, and so he just went right back up to heaven. And God said, well, Narada, how was your trip to earth? And Narada said, well, I think I found your, your devotee for you. He's a, he's a wonderful man. His name's Badraka. He's been doing austerities for 80 years. He's completely, 100% dedicated. And God was scratching his head, and he said, I, I, I don't remember him. I, I can't seem to find him in my memory. I don't, I don't know who he is. He said, how, how could you not remember him? He, he's one of your greatest disciples. He said, well, he might be, but I, I, he just hasn't touched my heart. And... Uh, He said, did you see anybody else? And Narada kind of hung his head and (laughs) he said, well, he said, I I, I did see. And God said, I bet you saw a drunken young man. And he said, well, yes, God. How come you know him? Is it because he poked your heart with his bamboo pole? And he said, oh, Narada, don't be sarcastic. Uh, I'm going to give you a little test that will show you who is the true devotee. I want you to go back to earth and I want you to say to both of those men, well, I saw God and I gave him your message, but he's very busy now passing a million elephants through an eye of a needle and he just can't come right this minute, but then he will come. As soon as he's finished with that task, he'll come and see you. So Narada went down with this strange message and the first person he saw was Badraka and he he said, uh, he said, I gave your message to God, but he said to tell you he's busy passing a million elephants through the eye of a needle. And Badraka said, what? What? What kind of craziness is this? I say goodbye, you and God and all your crazy crowd. I'm done with this nonsense. Who ever heard of passing elephants through an eye of a needle? Let's just get on with it. I still have a few years left. I'm going back to enjoy the world while I can. Be in be sane. Done with this insanity. So Narada's eyes were very big, and he watched this whole this man run off back to the city. Um, so then he, he went to see the drunken young man. And now the young man seemed even more drunk than before, and he was working on a second pole and, and just waving it around and yelling at God. And, but when he saw Narada, he dropped the pole, and he came running over, filled with joy. He said, did you see God? And... Narada gave him the same message. And the young man said, oh, he said, he's coming. My, my 
my Lord can pass a million worlds through the eye of a needle in a moment. Dance with me in my ecstasy. He may be here even now. And he began to dance in ecstasy and Narada danced with him and the Lord came and danced with them as well. And Master told this story. It has so many. He was talking about the importance of a pure heart, but this story has so many messages for us. I want to talk about them a little bit. Because this young man demonstrated what the reading was about, how to be in tune with God no matter what your faults, your failings, he had, he didn't, there was no fear in him. He was not afraid to yell at God. He was not afraid about the fact that he had, he was sinning by drinking too much. He just loved God, and in that love, there was no fear at all. And I think that in itself is just such a beautiful message, because, um, Oh, I will say, speaking personally, growing up in the West and and the religion, the Judeo-Christian, that certainly was prevalent when I was growing up, there was always a little bit of an edge there of not quite sure what was going to happen. Bharat said that when he was a young boy, he heard about hell in Sunday school, and he used to just walk very lightly on the earth (laughs) because he didn't want to fall through. And... It kind of gets woven into your understanding of life. And when I was in Sunday school, we were studying the Ten Commandments. And also the movie with Charlton Heston came out. Now that movie's a little on the scary side for a child in terms of God and how God communicates and so forth. It's a little powerful. And even though now I understand the Ten Commandments and I understand that they came from love and that God was giving the Jewish people what they needed so that they could move toward pure happiness, toward true freedom. When you're little, and maybe even when you're older, it doesn't come across that way. There's the, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do this. And there's sort of this unspoken feeling of, or else. (laughs) If you don't get it right, oh no, what might happen? So this aspect Uh, is underlying and it's very, very important to try to tune in deeper than that. The reading that Bharat uh, read from the Bible is one of my favorite readings in the Bible about I am the vine. The guru is the vine. The guru is bringing the life and the disciple is drawing his life from the guru, the branch. And that's such a powerful, powerful image to meditate on. But then there's another aspect of that message. And he says, what's happening? God is the husbandman. God is the farmer, the one who's maintaining these branches. And what does the farmer do? He's looking at that, those branches and he's going, okay, this one's dead. Get rid of that. Okay, this one is producing. Let me prune it, purge it, let me thin it out so that it will produce more. But if that's us... And we're being pruned. Um, sometimes the things that get pruned are painful. You know, things you might have thought you needed, like health, or a loved person in your life, or a career, or certain things that y- you kind of felt were all right. But God is seeing the bigger picture. This past uh, 
A couple of weeks ago, I had a very inspiring talk with a woman. I met her many years ago here at the Expanding Light, and she is a Kriyaban and very devoted to this path. And several years later, several years ago, uh, her life took a turn. God did some, some pruning and purge a thing. And it was very intense. And what she is being asked to do was extremely intense. And when I talked to her several years ago, she told me what was happening, what, what, her, what she had to do to fulfill what was being asked of her. And I just couldn't help but feel really sorry that she had to go through that. And there wasn't anything to be said. She has to do this. I, I prayed for her, of course, but it, it, there it was. And I felt very badly for her. Well, I talked to her again recently. And things had gotten actually a little bit worse in her situation. And she was telling me about it. But it was very interesting because this time while she was talking, I wasn't feeling sorry for her. I was feeling this woman is operating at the top of her game. It, what she's doing now is taking all of her skill, all of her intelligence, all of her energy, and she's really doing a good job. Well, I didn't know why I had such different reactions because the story was sort of the same, actually. But then, because she was seeming more positive, I, I mentioned to her this thing that I had been thinking about, about God purging, pruning the branches. And it had been on my mind since I first read this reading about what that looks like. And because I mentioned that, she told me the story. And she said, you know, when that, my life took that turn, with it came a lot of anger. I was very, very mad at my life being stolen from me and now I had a whole, this whole other thing in front of me. And she said that went on for a long time. So she was doing all that she had to do and with it, anger, which made it really bad for her. And she said finally one day, I don't know what happened, but she was able in herself to offer God her anger with all of her heart to just ask that this be taken from her. And she said, you know, from one day to the next, the anger was gone and there was only love. Love and kindness. And she had to continue to do the same thing, but it was a whole different experience. And I realized that's why when I heard her, I didn't hear, oh my God, this is terrible. I just heard this is what's in front of me to do and all the different parts, but there was no self-pity. Um, self there was no anger about it. It was just with love. She was doing what she needed to do. And she said after that, as I had told her the example of the vine being purged and so forth, I brought that up and then she told that story. So she said, now, when I think of God pruning and purging, I say, bring it on, bring it on because I know it will be good because her experience was yes, take it away but if I'm filled with love doing the same thing I'm happy for that so going through this idea of the, the message of the young man and that 
that freedom from fear and feeling that God knows what's best for us, that God knows our intention, is one aspect that I want to, wanted to mention in terms of attunement. Last weekend, Ottman also talked about attunement. This, there's sort of a four Sundays in a row that are about the guru-disciple relationship. And last week was more on attunement, and this week is more on tuning in to that power within us and, and not cutting ourselves off from it, but allowing that to flow through us. And one thing I wanted to mention that was part of the sort of momentous things of the last couple of weeks was the example of the master plan that just got completed after over 12 years of intensive work to have that finished. Um, uh, so this example, it's just the other important part, is to let go of the fear, tune into the love. When we, when we pray to God, when we practice loving God, when we practice chanting, and when we practice praying, and when we practice devotion, it's important, too, to practice receiving love. Not only do we love God, but we have to really feel God is loving us. Not because we're so fabulous <laughs> or we've done anything to deserve it, but because he became us. He became all of us. And we all are just a reflection of his own self. And so in us, he is filling us with his love. So to, to affirm that. But the second point I wanted to mention is just to take what, he, what comes through that pruning process, whatever it is, and just accept it. Accept it calmly and pleasantly. Master said that's the way to be free of karma, accept it calmly and pleasantly. And what happened with our master plan was so very inspiring. We had to do this project for the county. This is the kind of project that cost $500,000 easily. Um, and actually, if you want to hear more about this, there was a talk last Saturday uh, afternoon. Very, very inspiring. It was recorded, and you can listen to all the details. One of the parts of it was that Atman was explaining that rather than get kind of all in a Twitter about all the different things we had to do, as each thing came up, we would do that. And then the next thing would come up, and we would do that. And in the process of doing this master plan, these people were appearing. We had to do um, mapping. Well, someone came who could map, but then we had to do mapping on a computer, which is even more complicated and technical, and somebody came who could do that. And these were all Ananda people being paid Ananda wages, which is not very much. <laughs> and at a key point in this process, uh, Alex Forrester came, and Alex Forrester happened to be a professional city planner who happened to charge his fees at $400 an hour when he was working in Ashland. And guess what? Now he was working on the master plan. I would say I would estimate probably $390 per hour less than, <laughs> than what he was charging in Ashland. So just these miraculous, miraculous things happening just because of saying, okay, God, you're in charge. We're going to take it as it comes. We're going to move forward knowing that we are connected to the vine. And the vine is what's going to give us our life. 
I want to end by something, again, part of the thrilling part of this last couple of weeks is that on June 29th, we had a satsang about our new temple that's going to be going up across the meadow there very soon. It's start, the project is starting now. And during that evening, again, if you missed it, you can see it online. And it's just as thrilling online as it was in person. Very powerful evening. And there were three parts that I felt. First, was the, one was the announcement that our master plan is completed. It's absolutely finished after more than 12 years. Another part was the three of our disciples had earned a million dollars toward this temple project. And that, plus a donation with Janaka Foundation, took what, what we needed for the temple from, from us having one-third of the, the amount to us having two-thirds of the amount needed. It was huge and momentous change. And the last thing that happened was the description of the temple itself. But there was so much power, and I, I was watching it online because I... I won't go in. I had to get up at 3 o'clock the next morning. So I thought, I'll just watch a few minutes of this, turn it off, get some sleep. I thought, there's no way I'm turning this off. <laughs> I don't care about sleep. This is amazing. And when uh, it was over, I sat and meditated. And I felt the reality of the temple. And I felt it's very, very important. And I'm sharing this with you because I think it's very, very important for you, as well as me, to pray for the temple. Why? Does the temple need our prayers? Actually, maybe, but what my main thinking is, I need to pray for it. I feel like the temple is going to happen. It's going to be a kind of the culmination. All of the shrines at Ananda all have power, and yet I think they'll come together into truly a structure that will be filled with the vibration of the masters. And I want to be ready. I want to be on a level to go into that temple and be on its wavelength. And because of that, I need to pray for it regularly. And I encourage you to do the same so that the temple will be there. It will be vibrating with the masters. We will walk into it on the same level and coming up into that. So let's just... Take a moment, you can close your eyes, you can visualize that building across the meadow, but feel this presence of the masters that is sustaining you, that is sustaining Ananda, that will be filling that temple, and just feel all of us are rising more and more closely, more and more filled with God's power.